This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. The button pushing stops here. Plug the radio in. Yeah, everyone. Once again, it's time for Evidence for Faith, the weekly program that helps Christians to become thinkers and thinkers to become Christians. We're also the program that presents the historical, archaeological, and scholarly evidences for the historic Christian faith based on the documents of both the Old and the New Testaments. And I'm Kirk Hastings. And I'm Keith Kendricks. Hello, Keith. Keith, hey, uh, Kirk. Keith is an apologist with a master's degree in Christian apologetics from Biola University. So, uh, I understand you have a couple of uh, news items for us, Keith, that are things that are happening in the world. Yeah, one of them is there's a National Back to Church Day this year. So, September 18th is National Back to Church, so when people are planning and thinking about getting their kids back to school, one of the things they should think about is if they are not attending a church regularly, they should get back to church. So if you're interested in exploring spiritual things and finding out more about the Bible, then think about attending church on September 18th. That's the National Back to Church Day. Oh, is that something new? I don't think I've heard of that before. I had not heard of it before either. Okay. So I don't know what number, if this is starting to be an annual thing that's just picking up, I don't know. Okay, but well, it's a good idea. I was idea. worth passing on. I know our church is going to be participating in it, and we're going to be inviting people who are unchurched to come back to church. And, you know, maybe what we should do is carry, we're going to go door to door through some of the neighborhoods, and maybe we should carry some of the scientific studies that have shown that church attendance increases your health, your wealth, and your mental well-being. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, might might convince some people who, instead of uh, watching television. Okay. There were a couple of new books out that I thought were worth mentioning to our listeners. You know, we've talked, Kirk, about the history of science and how science began on a foundation of Christian ideas and the Christian worldview, and we'll be going more in detail into what the Christian worldview is today, but... Without that Christian worldview, without that way of looking at the world, science had historically just been a non-starter. It wasn't until the Middle Ages developed the Christian worldview that you get the beginnings of science. And there's another historian has joined in the fray and added his historical work to this effort. There are many books on this. Many historians have brought this out. But this one is by James Hannum. He is a Cambridge PhD in history and philosophy of science, so the perfect person to be writing on this, very prestigious education. And he's written a book called The Genesis of Science, How the Christian Middle Ages Launched Science. So more ammo for the information we've been passing on to our listeners. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I'd kind of like to read that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's on my Amazon wish list, so... If anybody wants to buy it for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a very long Amazon list, too. <laughs> <laughs> There's another book out that I thought was worth telling people about, too, and it's a 
book that is finally putting the pieces together on global warming. And it's a book called Heaven and Earth by Ian Plimmer. And this does go into the latest science that we have talked about on this show about what the true cause of global warming is and that it is coming from the sun. It has to do with cosmic radiation and cloud formation. And we documented in past shows how the scientists who did the theory, did the experimental work, had the experiments confirmed by uh, reputable scientists, and the whole thing was trashed and attacked by the left-wing lobby because they didn't want there not to be man-made global warming. Yeah, so this, they, even though this and this information was just published, finally published after 15 years, published in Nature this month. So it's exciting news that that the left, the political leftists and atheists, have not been able to stop the progress of science, and we now know the real reason for global warming. Published in Science and uh, in this book, Heaven and Earth, by Ian Plimmer. Yeah, you've mentioned on past programs, too, the whale, a lot of the uh, activism as far as uh, global warming is concerned is political. And yeah. that there's quite very, a few people that make n- a lot of money off of uh, pushing this idea. Yep, that's right. That's right. Left-wing governments pay uh, billions of dollars to prove that uh, these left-wing ideas are true. So. And, and it makes the scientists just really turns them into political puppets, and they become very nasty. The emails that were discovered dealing with this just showed how they are trying to get journalists and other scientists fired and really vicious, vicious attacks. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on today. If you don't agree with our point of view, then we'll get you fired or we'll do yep. this or we'll take you to court or... There's not yep. much um, free discussion going on anymore. <laughs> no, and it seems to most of the aggressive uh, attacks seem to be coming from the left. Yeah, yeah, they've decided to use the courts. Uh, they they haven't necessarily won in the court of opinion or the court of evidence, so then they turn to the actual legal courts to prevent people from disagreeing with them. Or they turn to big businesses and try to get the businesses to fire people based on their ideas. Right. They call it hate speech. Right. And uh, get you fired. Which is really against what America has always stood for, for the, you know, the idea of freedom of speech and freedom of conscience and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it doesn't seem to line up with the left's way of thinking, does it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> well, there was an interesting study that I thought our audience would be interested in, too. This is by Michael J. Murray, who is a sociologist who is studying the formation of religious ideas in infants. And just fascinating. I got to hear an interview with him, and I made a few notes about it. So this is some recent research that's been done. You know, Christians have long held that God instills in us a knowledge of him, a desire for him, and biblically, you find verses that talk about people instinctively knowing that God exists, and therefore, they are without excuse on the day of judgment, because they do know. Well, scientific studies have been showing that human beings have instincts in the same way that animals have instincts. That is, they have information about the universe that is pre-programmed into them. Mm-hmm. Some, some of the most fascinating examples of this are the monarch butterfly that 
you can take monarch butterflies, hold them in captivity for multiple generations, and then release them. And that grandchild monarch butterfly will be able to fly down to South America to the uh, spot where the, the monarchs go and land on the same tree that its great-grandfather uh, landed on. Wow. Yeah, uh, just incredible. And that's the kind of information that can be passed on from generation to generation. Well, it turns out that human beings also have this kind of instinctive knowledge. And one of the things they have is the permanence of objects. So little babies understand that objects are permanent, that just because they don't see them, that they haven't gone away. And, and actually, many animals don't have this. I know, you know, people make so much about the correlation between apes and humans, but this is one thing that chimpanzees do not have. They do not have this belief in the permanence of objects. So, a chimpanzee can go to a place where a leopard has just eaten another chimpanzee, and they can see the half-eaten chimpanzee body, and they will have no clue that there is a leopard around. Hmm. That's how dumb chimpanzees are. Oh, wow. They, yeah, so not until they see the leopard do they think that there's a leopard around. Okay. So permanence of objects is something that human beings have. Human beings also have an instinctive knowledge of gravity. They know that unsupported bodies will fall. So this is pretty interesting. And animals don't necessarily know that? Absolutely. Really? Another thing is that human beings have that's instinctive is a fear of contagion. So human beings fear dead bodies and animal waste. This is an interesting built-in thing. But it turns out that studying how children form beliefs, there's a natural tendency, even in non-theistic cultures, so cultures where there is no teaching about God given to children— you can see that they do have this instinctive belief of God being a super-knowing, super-powerful, super-perceiving, immortal being. And mm. that is something that has been discovered as instinctive in human beings. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That doesn't surprise me, though. No, I know. It's been written about in the Bible, and so, and I, just human experience. I, I remember one atheist that I debated asked me, he wanted me to explain why there were so many religions in the world. And he thought that this somehow counted against theism, that God actually existed. In reality, it counts for God. Right. You know, God has instilled people with this instinctive knowledge of him and the desire to seek him out. So it's not at all surprising that we have so many religions out there. Well, I can... I can you know, I'm not an expert in this field, but I can think of another instinct that human beings have is when they see disaster coming, they pray. Oh, yeah. <laughs> even if you're not, you know, even if you don't go to church or normally, you know, believe in God or whatever, people tend to turn to prayer when they see, you know, danger coming at them or, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. And that probably has a lot to do with this instinctive knowledge that God exists. Right. Yep. There's a... Also an interesting study, this was published last month in the Journal of Health Psychology, and it showed, you might have heard this, it was in the news, it showed that bypass surgery patients live longer if they're married. No, I didn't see that. Okay, yeah, well, another one of the benefits of the Christian worldview, which 
encourages marriage and the benefits of marriage. And for those that are interested in either listening to some of our podcasts we've done, they can also look up, there's something called the National Marriage Project run by a professor, Wilcox, in Virginia that talks about the importance. In fact, I think the, stu- the study that they do is called the Importance of Marriage Study. So they can look that up online. Hmm. So that's about it that I have for news items. Interesting. Yeah, I was just uh, uh, looking the other day on Amazon, uh, the book that you mentioned a couple of weeks ago called Should Christians Accept Evolution? Yes. That looks really interesting. I'd really like to get a hold of a copy of that. I don't have the name of the author in front of me, though. Do you remember the author of that? I don't remember. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I've seen ads for it in a number of places recently, and uh, it sounds really interesting. I'd like to get a hold of that. There, there's, there's so many books on Amazon I'd like to get a hold of. It's it's really a uh, trial each month to keep from overextending my credit card. Absolutely. You know, I think before, got... before I had to walk into a bookstore, I had to have money in my pocket to buy a book. Now I can just do it on Amazon with a credit card, and sometimes it's hard to know when to stop. Absolutely. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Well, we have a letter from one of our listeners. This is another letter from Kalia. She continues her little dialogue with us. Okay. She was challenging us on whether we actually understood evolution or not in past. So we've answered her and explained several items about evolution that she apparently didn't understand herself. Let's see. She sent a, a longer email this time. So let's see here. We're, here she says, you're admitting that there are beneficial mutations, but you claim God did it. Why God? I think because it is the only way you reconcile reality with your theology. The evidence is right in front of you. Then she says, your body doesn't just click on during times of stress to produce healthier offspring, which that actually isn't quite what we said, but needless, uh, I'll just continue. Okay. That sounds like, that sounds a lot like your, if I stand in the sun all day, why don't I get superpowers argument? (laughs) except you are the one making this ridiculous argument. And that's an example that we gave to show how ridiculous the concept of that an open system can violate the second second law of thermodynamics. thermodynamics. Thank you. Spit it out. (laughs) That's easy for you to say. This sounded ridiculous to her, but of course it's quite true. And in fact, an interesting study that I heard, Kirk, since you came up with this illustration about you know, exposure to sun doesn't give you superpowers and, you know, because there's nothing necessarily creative per se in radiation. Well, it turns out that there was a study just published a couple weeks ago that shows that cardiologists who do radiology procedures and are exposed to low levels of radiation actually improve their immune system. I've heard that. You did hear that. Yeah. yeah. That uh-huh. was, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Right. That they have lower incidences of cancer or something when they've had uh, low-level exposure to radiation? Well, I don't know. I don't remember that it said that, but I do know that they were able to measure antioxidant effects that the body develops in to try to protect itself against the radiation. Right. So I'm not so sure it's such a It's almost like it kicks their immune system in or something. Yeah, well, it's antioxidant effects. You know, your body's got natural antioxidants that it will kick in to if there's oxidative stress at the cellular level. So it's a sign of stress, and it's, 
I suppose it's good for you, but it's kind of like, I don't know. It sounds like a bad way of going about getting healthy. I don't, I don't think they were exactly <laughs> recommending that people go out and get low, low doses of radiation. I just thought it was really funny right. that it happens to correlate with that example we gave of how open systems don't necessarily improve things. Right. Well, anyways, after that sidetrack, let me go on with what she says in her email. Okay. I guess our cells are psychic and know when an ice age or a drought is coming. Oh, I forgot. It's the hand of God. I wonder why God would program us with these magic cells just so some of us could survive the next time he sends us a disastrous climate change. In my response, I go into how she misunderstands what we said, but I thought this was a really good example of a straw man argument because she had complained that we had a straw man argument when we were complaining about or when we were describing evolution and how there was a wolf-like ancestor that supposedly turned into a whale, and she said that was a straw man argument. Of course, it isn't. That's actually what evolutionists claim has happened. Right. But she gives a straw man argument because she says that God's so evil, he sends disastrous climate change on us. And in reality, God doesn't send those things to us. God goes with us through the terrible trials and times of trouble and helps good to come out of those things. Right. So she's got a straw man in the uh, fictitious god that she wants to knock down. So she goes on, really, just read an unbiased book on evolution, just a little bit of open-mindedness, and maybe you'll learn something. Your arguments have been refuted many times over. And, of course, she doesn't bother to tell us how. Right. Also, she goes on, also, evolution is a superstition. That is the funniest thing I have heard all year. You worship a stage stage magicians. Oh wow, that god's staff turned into a that guy's staff turned into a snake. Wow, he's multiplying loaves and fishes. Okay, well let me make a side comment here too. This is a fallacy called tuquoku that we've described when we did our lessons on critical thinking skills. Right. This is a you two argument or a two wrongs make a right argument. <laughs> now we were we were making a a kind of tongue-in-cheek joke about how evolution is superstitious because it's based on chance. And the definition, one of the definitions of superstition is a belief system based on chance. On random chance, right. That's right. Yes. So, therefore, evolution is a superstition. Well, she didn't think that was terribly funny. So, what a tu-quoku is, or, or what two wrongs don't make a right is, is if I say something like, it's wrong to smoke... And your answer back to me is, well, you smoke. Okay, well, that's got nothing to do with whether it's wrong to smoke right. or not. So right. just because we're saying that they believe in magical stuff, you can't go back and say, oh, well, you're, you believe in magicians too. That's not an argument. That's a fallacy. Right. I see. Okay. And, and regardless of that, you know, you can't have it both ways. The atheists would be all upset if God didn't do miracles to prove that he was who he said he was. These miracles that she talks about were given in evidence to show that the person doing them was speaking for God. Right. The so, first, it, the first example of the, the uh, rod changing into a snake, of course, was referring to Moses. And right. the second one about the loaves and the fishes was referring to Jesus. That's right. So you see, if 
if they didn't do miracles, then the atheists would complain that there were no no miracles. So how can you know they were talking for God? And then if they do do miracles, then they say, oh, it's magic. Right. You guys believe in magicians. Well, actually, the, the people in the Bible at the time that Jesus did his miracles, a lot of them said that. They said, oh, he's, he's some kind of a magician or it's a trick or whatever. Or using evil spirits. Right. They ascribed yeah. his, his power to uh, Satan instead of God. That's right. And Jesus talked about this, this back and forth, this having it both ways, when he said, we played a dirge for you and you didn't mourn. We played a jig for you and you didn't dance. So, in other words, no matter what Jesus does, people will still reject him and still complain about it. He can do two opposite things, right. and they'll say that they're both wrong. They'll complain that he didn't do real miracles on one hand, and then on the other hand, they'll say, well, give me a miracle to prove that you're who you say you are, <laughs> Right. type of thing. So she goes on to say, you know, I'm not going to waste any more of my time on you. I was hoping maybe if you educated yourself a little, maybe you wouldn't make such utter fools of yourselves every time you do a show. All you are doing is ignoring actual hard evidence. Well, of course, she doesn't give us any hard evidence, so not sure what it, we have no idea what it is she thinks we're ignoring. Right. That doesn't agree with your predetermined beliefs, just so you can pat yourself on the back without any argument. You should debate those atheist guys again. Maybe you'll use your brains if you are actually challenged. By the way, did you ever figure out why Joseph has two genealogies? No matter how hard you try to convince yourself, it's not Mary's, which was an item that came up in the debate with the atheists. Right. And we gave one possible answer, which was that one of the genealogies is Mary's. Another answer would be that the father of Joseph, one was a legal father and the other was the custody father, which happens many times. In fact, in my life, I have two fathers. I have my biological father and I have my stepfather. Okay. So it's, you can perfectly well create two genealogies for me based on my two fathers. Right. Well, but anyways, I, I have a short article that I actually sent to the atheist guys and uh, that was specifically dealing with that genealogy question. Oh, and yeah. It was written by a, uh, a historical scholar who explained why the two genealogies are different because of the way that the Jewish people at the time wrote genealogies. It's kind of right. comp complicated to you know go into it on the air, but um, there were certain you know, little things that Jews did when they wrote genealogies based on whether it was the woman's genealogy or the man's genealogy or whatever. And the article right. kind of explains why these genea—that one genealogy is Mary's and the other one is Joseph's and why they don't seem to line up with each other. And it makes perfect sense, you know, based on how the Jews wrote genealogies. Yeah, you know, one easy example to know is that I think people have heard before that when a genealogy says the son of, it doesn't necessarily mean that they were the son. It, they could have been the grandson. They could have been right. an adopted son. So 
they used different terms for things back in those days that modern people, you know, have lost sight of, and they they try to interpret statements in the Bible that were made 2,000 years ago based on modern language, and of course they say, well, this doesn't make sense. Well, yeah, if you're interpreting it by the way we use language now, it doesn't make any sense. But if you go back and you look at the way they spoke back then and how they used different terms back then, then it makes perfect sense. Or use the same term for different meanings. Right, and historical scholars know this stuff. So, you know, the the two genealogies are no problem for a historical scholar, but a layperson today looking at them would would say, oh, you know, they're contradictory, they don't make sense. Yeah, I know. In fact, I I remember reading, you know, it's too bad that people make these kind of snap decisions instead of looking at what the scholars have to say about it. Right. I remember reading about a pastor who left the ministry because in the Bible it talked about there being two high priests. And he knew that from the Old Testament law that there couldn't be two high priests, that there was only one high priest. And so what the gospel writers wrote about the fact that there being more than one high priest proved that the Bible wasn't true, that it was just made up, and he actually left the ministry over that. Wow. Well, of course, if he'd have you know, cared to consult any good historian on that time period, it turns out that only during that time period there were more than one high priest, and the gospel writers got it exactly right. Yeah, well, even today we have a similar thing where, you know, Barack Obama is the current president of the United States. But if somebody interviews, for instance, um, Bill Clinton, they'll call him Mr. President. That's Even right. though he isn't president now, he was in the past, and as a, a you know a, a sign of respect or whatever, they still call you know people past presidents. They still call them Mr. President or past state governors. They'll still call them governor, even though they're not holding that office anymore. Right. Well, here's my answer to Calia. I say thanks for the email. If you have a particular evolution book in mind, let me know. I would be happy to read it. The beneficial mutations we are talking about don't come from new genetic information, and that is why they don't contribute to macroevolution. They come from dormant genes being turned on or from broken genes working in new ways, like flightless birds. Or, for an analogy, taking the wings off a plane and using it as a bus. A new species, but no new genetic information. Right. Then I say, uh, continue on. Actually, the latest research shows that cells have built-in logic circuits that allow simple decision-making, such as when to request tissue resources or when to salvage itself for parts. A simple process goes on in the reproductive cells to rearrange genetic modules with vidges or variation-inducing genetic elements to allow for increased variation in offspring. I would love to do another debate and cover evolution this time. That would be great. I'm not sure the two genealogies get you very far. It's a sort of so what. Doesn't really prove or disprove the existence of God or evolution or the resurrection. Millions of Christians already believe the Bible has some errors in it, and so what? Keep looking at both sides KK. So that's my response to Kalia this time. Okay. All right. Let's let people know if they're just joining us. You are listening to Evidence for Faith. Yes, and I'm Kirk Hastings. 
And I'm Keith Kendricks. And I should probably also mention that if people would like to listen to podcasts of our previous programs, they can go to our website, which is located at www.evidence4faith.com. And also, if you'd like to ask us a question, you can email us at email at evidence4faith.com. Okay, let's uh, move on to our topic for today, which is uh, we're continuing with our discussion last week on worldviews. Right. And basically, last week we went into what a worldview is and what it consists of. And now we would like to take that a little further and talk about what a Christian worldview is. Yeah, that's where we're headed. We're going to be looking probably over the next couple of weeks at exactly what the Christian worldview is. Should I, uh, for our audience, should I just briefly go over what we said a worldview is? Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. Okay. So we said uh, um, the major elements of a worldview are your perspective on things like God, reality, knowledge, ethics, who man is, uh, who is God, does God exist, what is he like? Uh, reality, what is real, is there a purpose to life, are miracles possible, Uh, or uh, about truth, is truth relative, or is it objective, can you know anything about God for sure? Uh, A worldview would also include things like uh, a belief in an ethical system, like, you know, are there moral laws, are they the same for everyone, if so, what are they? Um, and also probably questions about, you know, do we have a soul? Do we have free will? Are the Mm. mind and body directly related? Um, is heaven and hell real? Is death the end? These are all things that would probably be included in your worldview. That's right. And people have to understand that everybody has a worldview. Yes. So everybody has some kind of answer to these questions. Sometimes their worldview doesn't make sense. Sometimes they borrow a bunch of different beliefs from other worldviews, but you can actually describe specific worldviews and kind of build them up on those primary questions, how they answer their primary questions about God and man, right? and then build up on top of that later views based on those foundational views about things like what they believe about ethics, philosophy, politics, economics, the social order, those kinds of things. Right. So Christians also have a worldview that's based on Christian ideas. And so essentially, in order to have a Christian worldview, you have to answer those questions, those questions about what's God like, what's man like. Those have to be answered biblically, mm-hmm. and that creates a biblical foundation upon which you can build all kinds of other uh, principles and ideas in the areas of family business, how should I run my business? That would then stem from what I know about God and man. Uh, What kind of a society should we have? How should we determine what laws we should have? What kind of government should we have? So all those things depend on the foundation. So by building a biblical foundation at the base, we can discover those principles that provide for the greatest human flourishing because God is our designer. So when God speaks in the Bible, he tells us about what's the best way to run a life. What's the best way to run a business? And, you know, it really is the owner's manual for us. You can imagine two people that both get brand new identical cars. One of them doesn't know anything about taking care of a car or how cars work or anything. And the other person very carefully reads the owner's manual. Mm Mm-hmm. 
you think they're going to have any difference in the end results of with those cars? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, you know, you will that car is going to be treated better, it's going to look better, it's going to run better for longer and longer and that turns out to be the same thing with human beings. When we live our lives according to the owner's manual, we wind up living better lives. And that's exactly what that study showed that I mentioned about bypass surgery patients living longer if they're married. So just another example of the benefit to human flourishing that comes from the Christian worldview. Uh Because we're essentially, in the Christian worldview, we're essentially adopting God's worldview. We're looking at things from God's point of view. Right. And if he designed everything, then that should work pretty well. (laughs) We hope so. If we understand it correctly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, how about, uh, can you give us some reasons why this is important to have a Christian worldview? Well, first off, I think one of the obvious things is that God requires it. You know, God gives us a owner's manual, but he also tells us that, hey, you have to look at this. You have to follow these guidelines. It's not just, here are the 10 suggestions, you know, right. it's the 10 <laughs> commandments. Right. So, in De- Deuteronomy 26.16, it says, The Lord your God commands you this day to follow these decrees and laws. Carefully observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. So, with all your inner being, God wants you to follow his guidance, follow his guidelines. And that really is the best way because God is our creator. He's our intelligent designer. He's the one that put all these incredible complex nano machines inside us and gave our cells the logic circuits that help keep us alive. Yeah, you know, when, us- you were, when you were talking about that, how the, the cells seem to know uh, how to make certain simple decisions and stuff. Mm. Uh, I put that together with what you said earlier about animals having instincts, and you make it sound like uh, our cells actually have instincts too that God has put in there to make them function a certain way. Yeah, it's um, not exactly instincts, but it's logic circuits. You know, it's like transistors. It's, right. It's like very simple decision makings. Like you know, you can have a simple circuit that. If you toggle a switch up, it will turn a light on if a different switch is in a different position. Uh-huh. But if there's if that second switch is in a up position, say, then when you press that other toggle, instead of the light coming on, the light will go off. So, Wait. you know, that's a kind of a simple logic circuit. These things are very straightforward. They work on essentially electronics, the passing of electrons around and that gives you a result and those are the kinds of things that are actually exist in living cells so that it can make a decision on am i getting enough nutrition should i do something now that i've reached a certain level where i don't have nutrition should i do something about it right so it sounds kind of you know i think our our listener who emailed us said that it sounds magical well i suppose it does sound magical but it's actually pretty straightforward it's pretty basic right so anyways, about the why it's important, we really should obey our creator in every area of life. It's you know, not enough just to say, well, you know, I have the Christian stuff going on Sunday mornings, but I'm not a Christian when it comes to running my business, or I'm not a Christian when it comes to dealing with my wife or children. Mm-hmm. You know? No, we need, we need the Christian worldview in every 
area of our life. And, you know, people say, well, you know, I can't do that. I, I can't do that. I can't obey all those rules. You know, I, I want to, but I just find myself not being able to do that. But that's where the rebirth comes in. That's where giving your life over to Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit comes in. Without that rebirth, those, all those rules, all they do is serve to make us aware of our sinfulness. All they do is serve to crush us under a weight of guilt. But God's given us a way out. He empowers men to obey uh, the law of Christ. So the fulfilled law that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Right, so that we function the way he designed us to function. Right. So we're really without, without excuse. We can't say, well, I can't do that. It's too hard. No, he will help us to do it. Right. Another reason that why it's important is because society needs it. I mean, Kirk, you and I need for there to be other Christians. We need other Christians in society because otherwise we're going to have to board up our homes and get shotguns and just camp out inside our homes because people will be after us. They will be like animals if they're not following God's laws. Yeah. So society for as a whole needs it. I mean, it's a much better society. It's better for everybody. It's freer. When people control themselves, you don't need government. And government is the most dangerous force on the planet. I've got a quote. This is from Herbert Schlossberg from his book, Turning Point, A Christian Worldview Declaration. Okay. He says, American Christianity is at a turning point. We face perhaps the greatest challenge and the greatest opportunity since the founding of our country. The challenge we face is the tidal wave of militant anti-Christian belief engulfing society and the chaos it leaves in its wake. The AIDS epidemic, the dissolution of the family, the abortion holocaust, growing economic weakness, the crisis of judge-made law, teen pregnancy, and widespread financial fraud. These difficult problems and many others are largely the byproduct of the humanist idea that man is the measure of all things and that all ethical standards are relative. Frequently proposed solutions, for example, safe sex and school-based clinics and ideological fixes, liberal statism, atheistic libertarianism, radical feminism, are proven failures or disasters waiting to happen. Hmm. It is becoming painfully apparent that anti-Christian humanism, the guiding force of our society for the last three decades, now five decades, does not work. The world is in crisis and people want answers. Christianity which is not an ideology, but the truth about God, man, and the world, provides the answers people want and need. So that quote from Herbert Schlossberg. So that's a, hmm. a great explanation of, of what's going on. Right. Wow. Yeah. So there's a battle of uh, ideas going on for the hearts and minds of people. There's Christianity. In the U.S., at least, the main worldviews are Christianity, secularism or humanism, People call it sometimes right. Marxism and the New Age movement. Other places in different parts of the world, you could add Islam as another main worldview. Or Hinduism or Buddhism or a number of other isms. <laughs> exactly. Yep. So there's, a, there's an interesting verse in First Chronicles 12.32. 
And it says from, it's talking about men who were selected from the 12 tribes of Israel. It says, from Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their command. So, do you hear that? They understood the times, and therefore they knew what Israel should do. So, this is the importance of a Christian worldview. If you understand what's really going on in the world, you understand the times, therefore you know what you ought to do, what people ought to do. Right. So, so that's one of the biggest reasons for understanding a Christian worldview and for learning about it. We really could use some leaders like that now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. How about, uh, um, can you give us an idea of what some of the major worldviews are and give us a little background on each one? Okay. So the ones we talked about, let's, let's go in more depth into that. Uh, secularism as a worldview is the view that man creates his own world of truth and meaning and values out of his own reason and experiences without any kind of reliance on God. Boy, so it's been that, called... Doesn't that sound like it came from the daily newspaper? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Very common. I, I would have to say this is probably the dominant worldview right now. Is It's called humanism or secularism. Right. And I can tell you that even Christians adopt a lot of the views. They may have some of those foundational views correct as biblical foundational ideas, but they will add on top of that foundation a lot of secularist, a lot of humanist ideas. I did a, a recent questionnaire with the high school and college kids at my church and found that they do indeed have very high levels of humanistic, secular ideas that they have adopted without realizing it. It's just part of their culture. It's things that they picked up from books and from movies and, and from TV the mass, shows. the mass media, right. Exactly. And that is the dominant culture out there. So it's not surprising that they would pick up uh, some of these ideas in the higher levels of ideas like things about government or economics. Right. The other worldview we talked about was Marxism. And this is a system where it denies the importance of property and says that the state has supreme authority over every aspect of your life. Now, you know, I don't know how many American lives have been spent in fighting Marxism. Marxism is one of the worst ideas ever to come along, and it's led to the deaths of hundreds of millions of people in the 20th century and the enslavement of hundreds of millions more. And Despite all that, yet Marxism is still very popular in the United States. It's huh. incredible. W would it be um, you know, fair to President compare? Obama even said in his biography that when he went to college, he sought out the Marxist professors to be his mentors. And uh, in incredible bad judgment. Would it be fair to equate Marxism and communism? Are they the same thing or similar? Or Yeah, yeah it's basically the same thing. Communism would be the economic... Portion of Marxism. Of Marxism. You know, right. Marx talked about more than just com communism, okay. but uh, they're essentially identical. Okay. Then the New Age movement. We talked about that. It's it's based on mysticism. It's based on a monistic idea or this idea that everything is one. You know, everything is God. Essentially, it, you know, the table is God. Uh, the plant is God. An animal is God. I am God. Also. 
and we're all part of this kind of impersonal uh, consciousness or force. And, and to describe it as consciousness isn't even uh, correct because the whole idea is you want to get rid of your consciousness and become this kind of unconscious force, this, this zero, this nothingness. Nirvana. And, Sounds like nirvana. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Yep. And, and then the last one is Christianity. And, and that's where we're going to spend more time looking at Christianity. But basically, Christianity is a worldview that believes that God is a personal, infinite, perfect being, that he created the world out of nothing, that he created man, that he also judges man and redeems man. So he punishes evil, but he provides a way out also. He, pr he provides a way to avoid having to pay the punishment. Right. It teaches that God revealed himself basically in three ways, that he revealed himself through the creation, and this is that he reveals himself, this is about that study where infants have an innate belief in God. So he's revealed himself, and you look at the stars and the beauty of the universe. You look at the incredible complexity of living things, and it shows that he has revealed himself. Then he's also revealed himself in the Bible. He hasn't been silent. He's actually spoken to the human race. And then finally, the Christian worldview believes that God spoke to us through Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Word of God incarnate uh, in living form. So we can look to Jesus as an example of how to live our lives and indeed, that God ha desires for us to become more and more Christ-like. And I would argue that, in fact, his entire purpose for the universe is that we would become Christ-like, that, that Jesus will have many brothers and sisters uh, in heaven to share life with. And that is the whole purpose of, of what God is about. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit and looking at some of the notes for a future program. And it, it, uh, in one of the pages here, it, it mentions how the Bible refers to creation as the spoken word. You know, God spoke the world into, into reality. And then yes, it, that's right. And then it calls the Bible the inspired word, and mm -hmm. then it calls Jesus Christ the incarnate word. <laughs> Right. That's an yeah, it's all it's it's very interesting. It's all about language. It's all about communication. It's all about and God it, expressing himself through these three things. That's right. And if you think about it in the Christian worldview, prior to God creating the universe, that is what was going on before anything physical existed. There was this communication. There was love. There was the word. There right. was you know, language essentially going on before the beginning of the universe. So uh -huh. just fascinating. Yeah. yeah, very interesting. I used to wonder why they called, um, you know, Jesus is called um, the the living word or whatever in the Bible. But then I started to understand, you know, that uh, these the creation and the Bible itself and Jesus are all expressions, you know, of, of God. God. They're kind of his language. Absolutely. To communicate with us. Yep, that's right. Yeah, very interesting. Well, I think we've got time to finish up with some of the consequences of not having a Christian worldview. Josh tells me we have two minutes. <laughs> Wonderful. All right, so there are a couple of consequences, and one is that without a Christian worldview, you have 
no basis for morality. And this is not to say that people won't be moral, because many times, in fact, you can be moral. But you're picking up, you're kind of using the borrowed morality from another worldview. And then there's no science. And, you know, we showed that there's many, many books written about how uh, Christianity led to the development of science. And science is on the decay. It's on the decline. It's been taken over by left-wing extremists. And they will push their way. They, they have their science stoppers that just prevent science from advancing, like this book that finally got published on the uh, what is the true cause of global warming, how they stomped on that and prevented it from being advanced. Right. Then there's no redemption either. Without Christianity, there isn't any redemption. You know, there's only trying to work your way into God's good graces, and it just doesn't work. You can never be good, and anybody who's ever tried it will know that that's true. Right. And finally, there's no peace. You know, there's no personal peace, uh, and there's no world peace. The closest there's been to peace in our times is when Christian nations have followed the lead of Christ and acted in Christian ways. Then you get true peace, and that is the hope that we have. The more people become Christians in this world, the more likely we are to have peace and less crime. Right. Okay, well, I think we're out of time. So, everyone, join us again uh, next week. And remember, the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true.